0: Hi, my name is Sierra. I am the host of The Lotus, and I've been doing this for three plus years, and I'm happy to welcome you in. If you've been here before, if you haven't, welcome in. You know, I hope you enjoy listening to me. I talk about all kinds of theories, mysteries, just some interesting independent research I've done over the years, and I compile it into an episode so I can talk about it and sometimes people are interested, sometimes they're not, but I have many other episodes to offer where I talk about pretty much anything that is mysterious, slightly disturbing, just philosophy too. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Today we're going to be talking about the anatomy of internet horror, the SCP Foundation, and, you know, creepypastas. I'm not talking about creepypastas specifically, but it does have a lot to do with internet horror, urban legends, and so be it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'll see you in a second. Right, so starting off, after the boom of the 21st century computer revolution, we now have more progressive means of sharing a story. Now with the ability to spread a story worldwide effortlessly, including some of the scariest stories known, whether they're True or not true, I'm specifically mentioning fiction. The SCP Foundation is a fictional secret society that, according to their own website, the foundation of a diverse group of personnel, including researchers, agents, and containment specialists who work together to study, understand, and contain the anomalies. Um, these anomalies can range from, like, monsters, all kinds of creepy creatures, and... They all are featured in some kind of internet urban legend scary story what be it. They utilize advanced technology, specialized equipment, and rigorous protocols to ensure the safe handling and study of these anomalies and go by SCP which stands for Secure Contain and Protect. According to the SCP Foundation database website, the SCP Foundation maintains documentation for all of the SCPs in its custody, which can include or a link to related reports and files these files and reports being you know little pieces of the story of the multimedia story that they are telling these documents written in academic scientific style describe the scps and include instructions for keeping them safely contained though clinical in tone each of these documents is often put together in such a way that tells a story or leads the reader into to infer things about the foundation the researchers who drew up the document the objects past life etc They can also include transcripts or relevant interviews, exploration logs from when the object was first discovered or contained, and other documents in which living, breathing people are shown to speak and let their humanity peek through its stark contrast to the cold and different language that dominates the Foundation's database of dangerous and perplexing phenomena. At first, the digital horror universe among itself is usually compromised of writers that are often use multifaceted resources to create a story. So, when I think of multifaceted resources, I automatically think of ARGs. Um, when I first got into doing research for you know internet horror and stuff, I always found myself getting interested into ARGs and just everything that they use to embody one story alone and really encouraging the readers to not just read and listen to the story, but to engage with the story to, it was just a game. It was a mystery game that everyone could play. You know, of course with the most, the effort included, um, sometimes you have to, you, it demands more of you, but um, there's some of the times that it's just, it's just really enjoyable for anyone that likes solving mysteries. Um, Following either the Love Creepypasta formula or a traditional short story format, sometimes even successful enough to encourage a series. Then there are the narrators. Um, Some of the well-known Creepypasta narrators are, you know, notable names like Creeps McPasta, Mr. Creepypasta, and CGS Creepy Ghost Stories, as well as Midnight Chills, Nature's Temper, Dead Man Talking Forest of Fear, vidith 22 mr davis and chilling tales for darker nights that of course cover the endeavors of the digital horror universe posting read along to the favorited reddit r slash sleep stories and the creepypasta stories that loosely mimic the plot styles of the ogs by default we know the most famous and love creepypastas are those as smile abandoned by disney um which also like Supporting other Disney Center creepypastas such as the Suicide Mouse and thousands more. Candle Cove, the Russian Sleep Experiment, which is my favorite on this list. Ben Drowned, a famous creepypasta that has also garnered more attention um, based on Legend of Zelda's Majora's Mask um, and thousands of more video game creepypastas, Jet the Killer, The Rake, and The Backrooms. And of course, Slender Man. The strictly pasta channels and the more journalistic channels that cover media and news involving digital media such as lost footage, creepy online phenomena, and elaborate horror ARGs. These platforms of new age horrors have certainly capitalized on a genre on their own. Though with that is a sizable list of elements that make these entries just so special. I will mention that now. So, there are elements of the digital horror universe the anonymity of the writers and the credit problem i can personally relate to this as a writer myself um you have to be very weary of where you post your content online because um if you don't have like you know an established blog or anything with your name credited onto it you know and it's monetized then it's really easy for your work to get swept up and um you will lose credit for what you've done because publishing your work online is relatively new endeavor, the risk factors are often not considered since it's progressive form of marketing that is often seen as more savvy than dangerous, and of course, giving the term ghostwriters a whole new light, but simultaneously endangering the credibility of writers. Or in more simple terms, it may be hard to pinpoint who wrote of what and when it was originally published. This, you know, creating the term lost media because, um, you know, when we start posting things on the creepypasta um, wiki and the creepypasta forum when it was first a thing, no one really knew who was who, especially with um, all the authors had their usernames. And so you don't even know, even if you do know who or what, you still don't know who that person is, which um, granted some people want that because everyone has the right to be anonymous on the internet. But other people don't want that, and so it's really unfortunate that there are a lot of writers out there that are not getting credited for what they wrote. And then the next element I would like to talk about, which is a little more detail on, is the iceberg model. Um, This one is pretty interesting. In 1976, anthropologist and cross-cultural researcher Edward T. Hall developed the iceberg model of culture and explained that organizational culture is like an iceberg found in polar seas. This figurative model has been adopted by the digital horror community quicker than speed, seemingly and with the model has been used in analysis videos in any genre with enough depth. Um, These are like where my favorite videos come in when you wanna like do the dishes or like cook dinner or, you know, just do some kind of chores, put on an iceberg video, you know, like you just get educated right away. And I feel like there's just so much depth that you can cover in this easy model. So thank you, Edward T. Hall, for that. The iceberg symbol has been used um, in 2019. It kind of kicked off when YouTube began peaking in iceberg model-related content. These videos describe usually one layer at a time. Some of the most notable titles partaking in the Lost Mini Creepypastas, respectively, and more niche sides of the spectrum, like certain phenomena, true crime, urban legends, and footage, or video game media with dark undertones. Some are even divided up by the layer because the host documents each layer with so much detail they have to make separate videos to, you know, keep attention. And I personally love these videos. I might even, like, do an iceberg model video sometime, but who knows. So, the next element is shock videos and internet gore. Um, you know, being like a Gen Z kid, I remember these a lot. And it kind of cast this fear on, you know, the unsupervised internet child that was just growing up with, like, full access to anything on the web. Um, and I think teenagers, when the internet was, like, a, a brand new thing, really were traumatized because of these shock videos and internet gore and we all I don't want to say like the websites because I don't really trust my audience to not go look them up for themselves but um there are some very notable websites that we all were familiar with growing up that had the worst of the worst and there was just no supervision there was no (laughs) control protocol at all to um you know prevent younger people and unwell people from seeing um some very disgusting horrible things since the birth of horror as a subgenre cheap scares and gore has followed on the journey gore means blood guts bone tissue we all know and um, stuff you'd see in a rated r movie according to an article by screenshot who quoted psychologist dr glenn walters stated the three primary factors that make horror films alluring our attention, generated by suspense, mystery, terror, shock, and gore, relevance, um, cultural meaningfulness, all of that, the fear of death, and um, somewhat paradoxically, given the same factor, is unrealism. Um, Terrible things like murder can happen in real life, but some self-proclaimed gore enthusiast um say that describe like desensitizing themselves to gore helps remove the shock and taboo reputation of such subjects therefore taking the power back it holds on to people naturally the reason why we find gore so disturbing is simply that seeing someone's brain strewn across something you know it's just it's unnatural and it's wrong and it should remain that way um this isn't very natural and very necessary instinct we have as humans, and it is protect us throughout their stages of evolution. These instincts can be impreventable and more strong than those of others. Surgeons, first responders, firefighters, and ER technicians subject themselves to this. But at the same time, it's estimated that 18 to 24% of dispatchers and 35% of police officers suffer from PTSD. And so... Many first responders self-medicate with alcohol or other self-destructive and abusive behaviors in an effort to cope with the stress and trauma they deal with daily based on the research conducted by the National Alliance on Mental Health as well as approximately 15-17% to 17% of emergency physicians and upwards to 20% of emergency medicine residents met the diagnostic criteria for PTSD in 2019 alone. and. These are only the ones that agree to participate in the study, and after the peak of the 2020 pandemic, it's assumed that these numbers have doubled since then, if not a little more. The point is, if you can control the graphic content that enters your psyche, you should at least keep it to a minimum, you know, and regulate yourself for the greater good of you and the people around you, people that love you. Um, but because the mind seeks to know what it most likely does not need to know, we describe the indescribable and sometimes more than often find gratification and pleasure off of knowing, you know, no matter how disgusting, horrible the truth is. So um, just think of our lust for gossip, you know, how much we want to know what's none of our business. Um, all, we all We always want to know secrets, we always have that guilty desire to know and, you know, I can't help and none of us can help kind of just like for a moment just wondering what a human body might look like after it gets hit by a train going like 200 miles per hour but we don't need to know that we really don't need to know that so just remember that the next element I want to talk about is the lost media um real and fake lost media it still is very very loved and um, monetized in the internet horror community um, lost media is an umbrella term for media that is missing unavailable destroyed or non-existent to be accessed by the general public this media is usually film radio broadcasts writing digital publications video games all that etc the accounting for Pasta and many other new-age horror media projects can be lost just as easily as they appear and thus making lost creepypasta a whole little genre of creepypasta on its own. I can't describe exactly what makes lost media so interesting to some, but I do believe it has to do with piecing together a part of your past to make it a little more familiar. Um, like, let's say, like we partake in media every time, all the time, every day. Um, But sometimes something just sticks with you, you know, almost in a supernatural kind of way. It may fade like the rest of our old memories, but something about it is just so special. Whether it's in like an innocent, cute way or like a dark and mysterious way, you just wanna track that piece of media down and relive that experience and all the other precious memory attached to it. Of course, lost media is valuable to investigate and identify for the sake of digital history alone piece together timelines and also give artists the credit they may be entitled to.
1: Um,
0: lost Media is also has this, this allure to it. And um, I have to say that like the Creepypasta community has really um, adopted this mean of, of Lost and the unknown so well, and you know embedded it into their culture. And I really love this, this part, this element of internet horror too. So last but not least, um, this is kind of like the most like trigger warning worthy element (laughs) of this episode. Um, So this is like about like true events that have happened to people and true people that exist in the, you know, the digital horror community. While horror has historically been a taboo subject, the consumers of horror have always been universally stereotyped to look the same, gothic dress, morbid, coffee drinking, insomniac consumers, horribly desensitized psyches, maybe even like trolls, creeps, like creepy, just horror people, you know? Um obviously it's a stereotype, you know? I don't I'm not really like that, but some are take it a notch too seriously as any anyone can and draw into question whether such a public pursuit of horror content should be more monitored. The first case is pretty well known, but I'd like to talk about the Slender Man Stabbing, Um, highly publicized case, obviously involving um, horror stories and delusional decision-making, but this one was infamous for the perpetrator's young ages and the intentions of their delusions. The two 12-year-olds, Morgan Gaser and Anissa Weyer-Weiser, I might have said her name wrong, attempted to stab their school friend Peyton Lautner to death as a sacrifice in an attempt to save themselves from Slenderman's evil wrath. Although the stories vary, um, both girls are getting the therapy they need now, and after being placed on antipsychotic medication, they both expressed remorse for their actions. Um, but and their friend did actually come through, and she is doing very well. She recovered like, you know, a god, and I, we have to applaud that. Um, but then this just goes to show that, you know, there's the wrong people that find the wrong things, and it leads to horrible, horrible events like this. There have been numerous other controversies stemming from the creepypasta community, many including cases of grooming underage fans, plagiarism, cyberbullying that escalated to doxing, and of course, like the cyberbullying is a pretty dense one. I think what goes for any internet community, people are can be very disgusting. I like to mention that the case I'm about to discuss here is from over three years ago. And even though those involved are not mentioned really specifically, I don't mean to make light of the situation that may or may not even be true, but of course we should, um, I, I should say that any internet community is not immune to rumors and defamatory speculation, so please take this with a grain of salt whilst I, I, um, I name this case. So, according to a Reddit post made on our sauce creepypasta, the user, you slash commentalist made a detailed breakdown of the situation the main allegation was um redacted who had appeared in creeps mcpasta's narration videos at the age of 12 revealed that she was allegedly groomed by and sent nudes to creeps mcpasta when he was 21 who redacted was probably um, working with Creeps McPasta, who tried to remove her credit from the videos when this came out, but then put her name back when people noticed that he had done it. She spoke with Creeps McPasta often enough that they worked together on a project she came up with. This is credited by Creeps McPasta as the creator, and when her computer privileges were taken away after her parents found out about their relationship, Creeps McPasta knew this, and, um told his audience that she would no longer be around online. These public posts prove redacted and Creeps McPasta held conversations with each other beyond submitting voice lines, including the issue that Creeps McPasta asked for nudes and has received news from the underage accuser. The controversies only continue with many people having personal conversations and experiences with some of these narrators and being groomed, being hurt, and I, I at least think it's worth mentioning that there is a lot of corruption when it comes to internet media, and of course we all know that people get this feeling of confidence and superiority when they're working online, and they have you know a screen behind their face in front of their face. I mean, so this was a really short episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it in some way or another, but. Um, I am going to post an episode pretty shortly after this, and um, I hope you enjoy this. If you didn't enjoy this one, I'm sorry. I hope you enjoy the next one, and y'all have a great rest of your day. Bye.